Welcome to the First NAS Podcast. We continue God's Kingdom series this week with Pastor Becca Reamer as she preaches out of Matthew chapter 13, saying God's kingdom is growing. Let's listen in as she shares. So if you would like to turn with us to Matthew chapter 13, verses, starting in verse 24, um, and just to let you know, um, we are at the point where Jesus is speaking to the crowds. So this is not just a story for the disciples. This is for everyone. He is on um, a boat, and they are on the shore. And if you would stand with us for the reading of the gospel, that would be great. Here is another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the worker slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked? No, he replied, you'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Evelyn. So this is his parable. Um, the next verse, he goes on to another parable. So this is all the understanding they get. So it's not like the boy who cried wolf where you hear the story and you instantly know what's going on. So this is what we're left with. We are left with a story where there is a farmer. Um, the farmer plants good seed in his field because it would be really weird if he decided to plant bad seed on purpose. Um, because if he did that, then he's going to waste all his time and effort and resources to, you know, not have anything to harvest. And that would be kind of strange especially since this is probably his livelihood. Um, And then you have an enemy, an enemy that comes in the cover of darkness, unbeknownst to anybody else, and starts planting this bad seed intentionally in order to sabotage the field and the farmer. Um, This weed that he had um, planted that they're talking about is a sneaky weed. It's likely Darnell. Darnell is a weed that looks very, very similar to wheat, until it starts to produce grain. So as the, as the enemy did this, it took a while for them to know that anything was wrong. So when they start to realize the workers, it becomes abundantly clear that, hey, something is wrong. This doesn't look right. And they still do look very similar even when, they are, when they're producing grain. But they say something doesn't look right. So they go to the farmer, and likely these workers are people who were there gardening as well. So they know that the farmer didn't do this himself. And they say, uh, you know that, that field you planted? Um, we know you planted good seed there, but where did all these weeds come from? And the farmer makes a really easy, quick jump saying, it was the work of an enemy. Because an enemy who comes uninvited, unwelcome in the middle of the night to do this to, in order to sabotage, and that's the only thing he's doing is coming to destroy, coming to, um, coming to disrupt what he has going, This is an enemy. This would have been a relatable and a very plausible story for the people um, who were hearing it. 
Because again, this is a kind of a different culture than it is here. Um, and maybe some of you, maybe we have this law. I don't think we do in Lewiston. Um, but they had a law in Roman law that dealt with these specific things. And it was that you could not plant Darnell seeds in somebody else's wheat field. It was a punishable crime. I don't think we have that here. Um, we might. Uh, but I find it worth noting at this point in the story that Jesus, as he's telling um, this crowd, that he doesn't turn a bit and start focusing on the enemy. Um, a lot of us would probably start telling a story if we were, if we were telling somebody that this has happened. We're going to start telling how this person did us wrong, and we're going to start talking about this particular person. And there would be um, emotion that would come up with that, right? Emotion and wanting revenge, maybe wanting to get even. And here in the story, Jesus talks about how the farmer isn't concerned about the work of the devil at this point, the work of the enemy. Um, he is only concerned about his precious crop. So the story continues, and he says, no, don't pull the weeds, because if you pull the weeds, then my crop that I planted, that I intended to grow in the ground, will get pulled up too. And that's what I care about. I care about what I planted and what I um, intended to happen. So the farmer says, we're going to choose patience. We're going to delay dealing with the weeds um, until the harvest. And at that point, we will store the wheat in my barn and the weeds will go into the fire. So this, my friends, is the whole story. There is a lot of questions, I think, that come of this story um, because that's all we're given. We're not given an interpretation at this point. Like I said, he moves on to the next parable. And the disciples who were with him we're hearing these stories, we're, we're hearing his teaching, would, would know what was going on, even they didn't know what this story meant. So a little while later, um, the, the disciples come to Jesus a couple of verses later and say, hey, what was that story about? Can you tell us? And so thankfully, the author of Matthew records the interpretation for us to give us a little more insight as to what it is that Jesus was sharing with us. This is starting in verse 36 of chapter 13. Then leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house. His disciples said, please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. Jesus replied, the son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the wor world and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So Jesus gives some further insight here, and he starts off by giving a, a glossary, if you will, of sharing who and what is represented in this story, in this parable. So the farmer is Jesus. His the field is his entire world. And I want to kind of key in on that for a quick sec. I want you to remember that. Um, his field is the entire world. He is claiming here victory, or not victory, but he's claiming dominion over his, um, his creation. He's not saying that his field is just this one little plot of land. He's not saying that it's just Lewiston, Idaho. And he's not saying it's just the church. Because some people will read this and think, oh, he must be talking about the church, 
right? There are, there are weeds, and wheat, weeds and wheat growing up in the church together, and it's entangled. And that might not be wrong, per se, but here, Jesus is saying, but my kingdom is bigger than that. My kingdom is not in one spot. My kingdom is over the entire world, over all of my creation. His kingdom is here, and it is now, and he is the king. So his, his children grow up into wheat, and they grow up, um, well, yes, his children are the wheat, and the children of the devil are the weeds. Um, and then he says through his explanation that he is going to have, or he has a plan, and that plan is to exercise patience in letting the weeds continue to grow, that he does have a plan, and that this is what's going to happen at the end of the world. There are some things here, though, which I find interesting and I'm, I'm kind of curious about that are not explained um, in his little glossary. He doesn't explain what the, um, what, who the workers are. I find that interesting. I've always kind of wondered, who are the workers in this story? He also doesn't explain what happens when the workers were sleeping. Was that a neglectful time? I'm curious if that was a time where they shouldn't have been sleeping. Or was this sleeping kind of a natural time, right? Because we are created to sleep as well. And I've always wondered about that in this story. But the way that I read this is that Jesus wrote or said an explanation of the things that were important. And these things, as much as I'm curious about, are not needed for the interpretation of what he's trying to say. He has a lot of wisdom that he's trying to impart during this explanation and I want to key in on three different things that we can read through this scripture um, that can help us today um, figure out what it means to um, live amongst the kingdom of God and how we can participate in it. So the first is um, God's kingdom is intended to grow. That first sentence back in Jesus' parable says, The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who grows good seed or who planted good seed in his field. Like I said, the farmer knew what he was doing. He planted the seed with the intention for it to reach the harvest. I want to say, I want to let you guys know that he planted you. And he planted you with a purpose. He didn't just plant you so that hopefully one day maybe he would send some people out there and hopefully you would make it. That's not the case. That is not his intention. His intention when he planted you was to grow. He wants you to fix your eyes on him and to be more and more like Jesus. I want to point out, and I think that this is pretty obvious, but I think that some people might need to hear this, that it's not the farmer that plants the weeds. Um, that is something I've been kind of thinking about throughout this, this week of, um, God, where are you, right? We know that it is not God who plants the weeds. We know that the weeds, the evil that we experience in our lives, the evil that we see all around us when we're looking at the news, that is not the work of God. That is the work of the devil. And that's how he works. He is sneaky. He sows some evil here, and he sows some evil there and everywhere, so then we can take our eyes off of why we were intended to grow into God, and we take our eyes off of him and look at everything else. I think about people, and I think about the division that this creates. Um, I think of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were people who took their eyes off of God, forgot their intention, which was to grow as people of God, and they decided to take Scripture and essentially hit people over the head with it. Um, they wanted people to be on their side. 
They wanted people to look like them. They thought that they knew exactly what needed to happen to be people of God, but they weren't growing themselves because they took their eyes off of God. If we are so focused on telling other people that they are wrong instead of speaking Jesus, then we've missed what it is to be a child of God. I wrote this down here as we were singing. Um, the, the very first verse of the song we sang a second ago, I Speak Jesus, is we speak Jesus over every heart and mind. We struggle at times to do that because sometimes we think it's our job to fix the problem of the evil in the world. Sometimes we think it's our job to point the finger because, you know, here we are, we're supposed to grow, and I see that so-and-so and so-and-so is not growing, so now I'm going to start looking at them. And that's really what the Pharisees were doing to the point where they were no longer growing the way that they were supposed to. We learn in the parable that we are not the judge of who is a wheat or a weed, um, and we learn that the people who are implementing God's divine judgment, which is the angels at the end, are also not the ones who are judging who is a wheat or a weed. Simply, they are doing what God has ordered them to do. And this is good news because it lifts the burden from us if we ever feel like we need to start pointing the finger at people. Because that's not our job. That is not what we are intended for. Instead, we were intended to love God and to love others. Those are the two greatest commandments that Jesus had told us. These are the things that we should be doing to fulfill our purpose. And I'm not saying that we should just overlook or ignore injustices. Because sometimes we do need to step up and humanize people who have been dismissed. Sometimes we need to stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves. Because again, we are called to love God and love others. But if we're not speaking the name of Jesus in those situations, then we are missing something. We are severely missing something. Because when our eyes are affixed to Jesus, we remember that he is our sustainer. It's not us. He is our refuge in times of trouble. Again, that's not us. He is our hope, hope for a future. It is he who gives us salvation. It's not us. So you can take that burden off of you if you feel like it is your job to save people or it's your job to fix people because that's not our job. Our job is to continue to live in the love of God and the love of other people. And then as we do that, people come alongside of us and we can point them in the direction of Jesus and we can say, look at this person who has saved me and he can save you too. He can take you from that addiction or he can take you from that evil that you were dealing with that is just so taking you to your core because it's not us, it's Jesus who does that. We are also told to, um, actually, I, I was thinking about this. I told some people earlier today that I was kind of fuzzy on something. And I, as we were singing, I was thinking about this. And as we were doing our service, um, we are intended to grow individually. Um, but we're also intended to grow as a family of God. Today has been a beautiful example of that. We had a new, a new member of our church family who's only a couple months old come forward. And you could hear the resounding um, the resounding words in this church saying, we will, we will be part of that. We are the church. We are not intended to grow just individually. We're not in the field planted by ourselves and all the weeds are around us and that's it. There is wheat all over as well. And we are part of that and we should be growing together. And then we had laid hands on our brother, Pastor Ryan. Same thing, he is not alone in this. 
We are here to come together because we are in the field together. We are God's family together. And if we're not growing together, then again, we've missed the point. Because some people think that, you know, I'm introverted. I'm just going to do my own thing. I believe in Jesus. Life is good. But that was never the intention. You were never in the field by yourself. You are in a field full of people who are trying to grow in the same thing of being part of God's family and part of his kingdom. And his kingdom works when we are together. When we fix our eyes on things above and not on earthly things, we do continue to thrive right where God planted us because we can stand firm on Jesus, our rock. The second thing is that Jesus, or God's kingdom, is uh, growing. Have you ever realized um, if something was too far gone in your life and you just wanted to put the gabosh on the whole thing? You're like, yep, this isn't going to work. Um, a couple of weeks ago, actually a week and a half ago, um, my husband is really interested in space launches. And so he invited our family into this. Um, had no idea it was happening. I'm sure he told me like multiple times before. Um, but he was on his phone and he was looking and I was wondering, what are you so intently looking at? We were in the hotel room. We were at District Assembly. And we all gathered around, my, our two kids and us, and we're watching on my laptop this space launch. And for my kids, it was so exciting because this is something they've never seen before. And it's something that we were getting to watch live. And so it was really cool. We were, we were there. The pre-checks had happened. The procedures, everything they needed to do in order to make sure that this rocket was going to launch had happened. And the countdown is happening. And I was watching it on my laptop, and we were a couple of seconds earlier than Aaron's phone because he still wanted a front row seat. So we were seeing what was happening before him. Um, and it was, it was quite great. Um, and so the launch or the, the countdown stopped for some reason. And it just, just stopped. And so I had told Aaron, I think they're going to stop it. And he's like, what are you talking about? You know, because he hadn't seen that part yet. And, and uh, they, we stopped. Nothing happened. No commentators were talking. Nobody really seemed to know what was going on. And I was thinking, you know, they're just going to stop this. It's not going to work. Well, they quickly figured out whatever the problem was, and we continued to, to count down, and it got to zero. And this massive rocket, which is the biggest that's ever been built, apparently, and the biggest that's ever been launched, launches in the sky. And it was, it was seriously incredible to see the work that went into this. So this launch is going well, and it's fantastic, and it is, you know, gaining speed, and it's, it's going up to the sky. That's what you want. Everything's going well until it wasn't going well. Um, and about two and a half minutes into this launch, the, the rocket starts to kind of falter a bit. And, like, I'm not a rocket scientist, so I don't know if that's the right thing to do. Um, but it's, it's moving. Um, and then it starts to, like, spiral. Um, that really shouldn't happen. Uh, and then it starts to kind of come back down towards Earth. Um, so at the time that it reached... Uh, its highest peak, it was 24 miles above the ground. Um, and then at the four-minute mark, so this had been going on for about a minute and a half, the four-minute mark, the rocket blows up. And that's it. I know. We're watching this live. And we're like, what? What just happened? And my kids are like, what happened? Um, it went poof. Um, so <laughs> what we learned is that the, the rocket and the booster, I think that's what it's called, was supposed to separate at this point, and it didn't. And so that's what was causing it to kind of move around because it, it was kind of half connected and that wasn't supposed to happen. A couple of days later, because um, Aaron is still, you know, very much into this and he's telling me all about it, um, we learned that the people on the ground hit the self-destruct button on this rocket. Pastor Paul's nodding his head. Did you know this? Oh, he read it this morning. They hit the self-destruct button because this rocket 
coming down towards earth is not what's supposed to happen. And it would have been catastrophic if that had happened. It did a lot of damage up in the sky at 18 miles when they decided to hit the, hit the self-destruct button. I can't imagine what it would have been like if it came down to earth. And so they were weighing their options and they decided there is nothing good left of this. This is a lost cause. It's going to cause all kinds of damage and all kinds of issues. And they hit the panic button and they put the kibosh on the whole thing. If you haven't seen the video, you should go watch the video. It's on there. Um, when the workers came to the farmer and said, what are the next steps? There are weeds in this field. Um, it has been sabotaged. Do you want us to start pulling the weeds? And the farmer opts and says no for two reasons. He says no because one, um, even though the weeds pose a great risk to the wheat, um, I don't want to be the personal one responsible for pulling up my own wheat because that's what's going to happen. If I, start, if I start having you guys pull up the weeds, then we're going to uproot my precious crop if we do, and I don't want to do that. And second thing is because his field was not a lost cause. He noticed that his field was still growing. It was still producing. The wheat were still doing things even in the midst of the infestation of these weeds. And I want you to know that because some people think that the church right now is a lost cause, right? Maybe it's because a generation isn't going to come up in the church, but look at our fine youth here, seriously, who led us in worship today. God's kingdom is not a lost cause. He does not want to put the kibosh on the whole thing. Instead, he gives us grace and says, I want to see you to the end, and I want to see you to the harvest. I want to see you in heaven in my kingdom where there is no more weeping, no more tears. Another thing I want to point out is uh, the action of the workers. Um, they went, their very first response was to go to the farmer when they saw that something was wrong. Um, we tend to have a lot of things go wrong in our lives, right? We have things that personally affect us. We have things that personally affect our loved ones. Um, what is the first thing that you do when something goes wrong? A lot of people would say, I pick up the phone and I dial whoever's number it is that is my, my confidant, my person, right? Maybe that's a family member. Maybe that's a best friend. Some people might say, I go to social media because I need to have the support of everybody, right? These things aren't necessarily bad, but if your first response is not to go to your father, then that's where our eyes are then taken off of Jesus. We should learn something from, from these workers because, again, it is God who is our divine healer, not somebody else who we're calling on the phone. It is God who is the author of life. It is he who knows how many hairs are on your head. And it's not just because he knows everything, because he does, but it's because he cares. He cares about you. He cares about what's going on in your lives. You might think that I'm just so insignificant. I'm just kind of over here by myself. Why would God ever care about me? He cares, and he wants to hear from you. He knows your name, even if you don't think you know his, even if you've never reached out in his direction. He knows your name. God is faithful, and we can have confidence that when we approach him, he's there, and he listens to us. God's kingdom grows when his children are living for him and him alone, and this is happening. Look at the church in Ukraine, war-torn Ukraine, and his kingdom is growing even there. God is moving. He is a waymaker whose kingdom is not thwarted by the efforts of the enemy. 
because people continue to call on his name and turn to him and his kingdom grows even in the midst of this mess because God's name is to be glorified. Number three that we can see in this passage is that God's kingdom is now and not yet. Jesus makes it clear when he's talking to his uh, disciples in their private discipleship meeting in the house um, that this parable is speaking at the, about the end times. When Jesus is going to come, he's no longer going to tolerate evil. He's going to deal with it once and for all. No longer will evil be in, allowed into God's presence. And at this time, his faithful servants who have fixed their eyes on him will live in God's presence for all of eternity. We will experience the divine God's divine and perfect kingdom. And we look forward to that day, don't we? We look forward to the day where evil has no place. We look forward to the time where there is no sickness. There is no pain, no tears, no division or hatred, and no death. And this is coming, and this gives us hope. So in this sense, the fullness of the kingdom is not yet here. But it would be a shame if we read this um, passage and only thought about the future. Because God's kingdom is here and now. Jesus has come, right? Jesus is here, and he gives us salvation. We can experience salvation here, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can live transformed lives now. We can live lives that are not bound by sin the way that it has been, because God's kingdom is here and has already come into this space I think about the beginning of um, how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He said, this is, this is what it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't think that Jesus was teaching something that was unattainable. He didn't say, pray for God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven unless it was something that could happen right now. And I believe that. God is asking us to recognize that his kingdom is here and that we get to participate in it. That in God's great love for us, his masterpieces, that we have been invited into his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And his kingdom transcends our world. It is not thwarted, like I said earlier, by the evil intentions of the devil. For Jesus has victory. He has victory over death. He has victory over sin. And he has victory over the evil one. So we don't need to be worried either. We're in a period where we are weeds or wheat among the weeds, right? We're in this period of waiting until the harvest. So we're here in the kingdom, but we haven't really seen it. But we know, as Jesus says in the book of John, that he has gone to prepare a place for us. That's what's happening right now. There is things that are happening. It's not like we look around and say, where's God? God is here. God is moving. God is in our midst. His kingdom has come to earth. Upon hearing this parable, um, when we hear that it's talking about the judgment day, um, how some will be in the farmer's barn and some will be burned, I hope that it stirs up in you the question of where where you plan to be, where you think you will end up. If I were to ask you hypothetically, I don't want any answers, but if I were to ask you hypothetically, are you going to heaven? What would your answer be? How sure are you? You don't have to answer this. How sure are you? 
That second question is where I want to end here this morning. Um, How sure are you that you're going to spend all of eternity in God's presence? Some of you might say, well, Pastor Becca, uh, I hope I make it. I hope I've done enough, right? Or maybe you're saying, well, you know, I... I'm not really sure. I come to church regularly. Um, That's got to count for something, right? I want to let you know something. You can know with 100% assurance that you are going to heaven. You can know that. Because Jesus made a way when there was no way. And there is a way. When God created the world, he created you in his image. He loves you. He loves his creation. And it was very good in his eyes. He also created us not to be robots, not to just mindlessly wander and do what people say we need to do. Instead, he wanted us to have a mind of our own to think. He wanted us to love him back by our own choice, by our own free will. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, beautiful garden of Eden. Said you can eat from anywhere here, right? Except from that tree right there, the knowledge or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Said if you do, you will surely die. Sin entered our world when Adam and Eve intentionally chose to disobey God's command. They ate from that tree. They were deceived by a serpent that we know has no agenda other than to destroy God's kingdom. That's what he's trying to do. This sin separated us from God, and there's nothing we can do to fix it ourselves. Doing the right thing, trying to be a good person is not what saves you. But God loved the world so much and he loved you so much, his creation, that he sent his son Jesus to dwell among us. Jesus was the answer that the pro- he was the answer to the problem of sin. With Jesus taking upon himself the punishment of sin, our rightful punishment that we deserved, when he died on that cross, he made a way for us to be adopted into his family. The Bible tells us that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. It also says... For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. It is the gift of God. And Jesus, this is the good news, Jesus is no longer dead, right? I tell Sasha all the time when we look at this cross that Jesus isn't on it. It's because he's alive. Jesus is alive, and he, our rescuer and our savior, is the risen King Jesus. Jesus defeated sin. He defeated death. Already, he is victorious. When you come to God admitting that you are a sinner and that you need him, that you can't do it on your own, and you believe in your whole being that Jesus is your savior, that he made a way for you to be reconciled to God, and you choose to make the Lord the king over your life, then he is faithful to save you. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that you call upon the name of the Lord and you are saved. You can know with 100% assurance that you are saved. This isn't something for the future only. It's not for, you know, when you die, I'm just going to not experience sin anymore. It's going to be great. No, we can experience God's kingdom here on earth. We have the Holy Spirit that helps us, that helps transform us from the inside out to make us a new creation. It isn't easy to walk away from sin, that's for sure. But with the help of God and the Holy Spirit, we can. And we can have freedom from that. We can have life everlasting. And this is where it's really exciting, because then you get to be part of God's family here and now, and also 
for all eternity when we are ushered into heaven. Um, Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for the ways that you didn't just put the kibosh on the whole thing, that you didn't just leave us because we were too far gone. God, we know it's because you love us so incredibly much, that you made a way for us. God, you are a way maker. You are faithful. You sent your son, Jesus, so that even though we're dealing with the problem of weeds, we can fix our eyes on you. We don't need to do this alone. We were never called to do it alone. We were called to come to you, to run to you, and also to be supported by those in our community. God, to be part of your family doesn't just mean you. It means all of us. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the youngest one to the oldest one, that we are here together, because this is the beginning of the reflection of what it's going to look like in heaven when we are together, worshiping you for all of eternity. God, we pray today that um, you convict us where we need to be convicted. We hear this and we've been pointing the finger at too many people. God, gently help us realize that we need to be speaking Jesus over all else. God, help us have eyes to see that your kingdom is growing. Evil hasn't won, and evil will never win. You've conquered death. Jesus, thank you for coming, making a way for us, making a way for me. God, we thank you that we get to experience your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Holy Spirit, come into this place. Be with each of us here. For those who are sitting here thinking, man, I don't know what's going to happen when I die. God, may they feel your presence right now. May they know you are faithful and that when they admit to you that they need you, they can't do it alone. May they feel peace. May they feel hope. May they feel love in a way that they never have. And I ask that for all of us here today too. May we be reminded today of the hope that we have in you. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Becca. We stand and receive a benediction. I just want to remind you a couple of things. We are having a reception right after church. There's cake and and some juice and maybe a little coffee even. And uh, I'm so blessed to be surrounded by wise women. Uh, I I have a lot of wise women in my, my life. The wisest woman I know says, life's short, eat dessert first. And so uh, cake is ready to go. Uh, as, as Pastor Becca was sharing there, the idea that we could be assured of, of our eternal destiny comes, we, we believe that the Apostle Paul speaks very clearly to that in Romans chapter 8 when, when he says, we have been given a spirit of adoption. Uh, the spirit testifies with our spirit and we can call out Abba Father. We can know that 
our God has, has accepted us into his family. And so as you go, may you receive the spirit of adoption. May you know and may your spirit cry out to God your Father, knowing that you belong to him. Go and be blessed. Thank you for joining us for the First NAS podcast. We hope to see you soon in person at 1700 8th Street in Lewiston.